0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 114 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer, director, producer, J.J. Abrams, and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Astroza as we continue our rewatch, deep dive of Fringe, season four. Today we are talking about episodes two and three. First up is episode two of the fourth season, One Night in October, which aired in September. Of 2011, written by Allison Shapker, Monica Owusu-Breen, directed by fringe mainstay Brad Anderson, Marcello, in an alternate universe, Do You Have a Dark Passenger?
1: I really like this episode because this episode deals with if certain things don't happen in our lives, right? Like, Like if we don't meet a specific person when we exactly need to, do we do we have the potential of being a bad person because we didn't meet a specific individual in our lives? And that and that one incident caused a chain reaction that makes us into a serial killer. So I really like the moral questions that this episode asks of the audience. Now I might be thinking of it a little bit too cerebral, but I got a lot of I got I got a lot out of this episode
0: because of the way I looked at it. Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it, and this is another episode where John Noble and Joshua Jackson's summer vacation continues in extension, but this is mainly focusing on Olivia and faux-Livia having to work together. And I liked this because we're seeing the interplay between the two sides, and the Prime universe has to decide whether it's worth actually helping the people over there. And Olivia is wrestling with this because of everything that has happened with Folivia. And we do learn that in this new timeline where Peter never existed, there are a few key differences that we have to sort of examine, which is Folivia still came over to our timeline and lived Olivia Dunham's life while she was held captive in the other universe. That still happened. That was still part of the fabric. Even without Peter, that happened. But something that didn't happen, as we learn, is that their agent, Broyles, never died over there. He's still alive and kicking. So we're like, hey man, you get to do two roles this season as well because we made a mistake wiping that Broyles off the board. So I liked finding out that there were certain things that still went on, even without Peter, and this question of, What if one single moment, it's a sliding doors episode where we're like in this universe, this guy became a teacher who specializes in serial killers. And over there, he actually became a serial killer because of one interaction that didn't happen. And I thought that that was fascinating that one moment in your life can cause a major shift in your circumstance Even though, as we learned, this guy, John, he does have those tendencies in our universe, but he's learned to control them and how to neutralize that thing that when left unchecked, like over there, becomes this terrible thing where he's murdered tons of people. And I like the explanation as we go along. And just in our bad robot connective tissue, I am just going to point out that the guy who plays the serial killer in that universe and the professor over here has actually multiple bad robot connections because first he was on the abc series brothers and sisters and the co-star on that show was ron rifkin arvin sloan from alias and balthazar getty from alias he actually was in the last episode ever of lost he was the oceanic delivery man who showed up a couple of times in the series finale of lost. And here he is as a serial killer. And then years later, he would go on to star on the CW's the hundred who, which also starred Henry. You're going to die. Charlie Cusick. So we've get a bunch of these bad robot connections in just this guest star. So I had to shout those out, but Marcella, what are you thinking as Olivia is wrestling with whether they can help Olivia? because she does still hate that she took over her life for two weeks. I really like the fact that
1: our Olivia is struggling with that inner battle within herself, because often in our lives we have silent inner battles between our good angels and our bad angels privately in our own heads. But the cool thing about fringe is that we get to see that happen in live action form with our Olivia fighting with the alt Olivia. Also, I love their interaction, specifically one interaction when Olivia, our Olivia, comes up with an idea to track uh, um, this this serial this, this serial killer from the other side, and the interaction that they have in the car when they're driving to the farm. I really like because I really think that it's the first time that Alt Olivia and our Olivia really had a chance to relax and really get to know each other a little bit without being so hostile. And they get to the farm, and our Olivia is just about to hop out of the car. And Alt Olivia says, so how did you how did you get rid of your father, or, or something to that effect? And our Olivia says, oh, I shot him, I killed him. And Alt Olivia has a look on her face like, holy shit, this woman has been through some shit. So I really like the fact that this episode really gave us an opportunity to see how the both Olivias react, to see how the both Olivias interact with one another. And hopefully after this episode, they'll be nicer to each other because they can sympathize with each other's situations better. Yeah.
0: How that comes about was interesting because our Olivia mentions how she knows what Basically, abuse is like she's trying to sympathize and she says, "You know, my stepfather was abusive and I had this horrible situation as a child. and the folivia says, "You made that up, right? Like that wasn't true because Folivia has led a charmed life and didn't have this happen to her. And she says, "No, that shit was real. I was in a terrible situation with this horrible man, and Folivia's like, "Well, how did you get out of it?" She goes, "I killed him." And it's one of those, like, fuck you, bitch. This is how far I'm willing to go. And I liked it because it will end up having them heal their sort of relationship with this. You know, our Olivia is still very upset that Folivia stepped into her shoes. But it was a really nice moment where the look on Folivia's face when Prime Olivia says, I killed him, was like, oh, okay. I I guess I am assuming that we had very similar lives, but it turns out we didn't. We both had very different experiences. And having this guy go between universes so that he can point out some of the similarities and the differences to track the serial killer version of himself, I thought was cool. And of course, they don't tell him that he's going to an alternate reality because parallel universes is something that most people can't wrap their head around. So the funniest moment to me was where Olivia has to let Faux Olivia pretend to be her again, which is kind of a moment. And they put on a bad wig onto Anna Torv as faux Olivia so that we can tell by looking at her that she's not our Olivia because yes, she's now blonde, but there's something off about this look. And I thought that was really funny. And just seeing, you know, Lincoln on the other side, get involved in this, trying to pull the wool over this guy's eyes to catch the killer version of him. But he becomes aware because as he's reading the room and he's really getting into the situation of, you know, whoever's doing this, the the people they're targeting are people who are happy and they're mad because they're happy and they want to steal that happiness from them. And this guy has some sort of fringe device that allows him to go into their brain and literally extract the happiness and get high off of it. But it kills them in the process. And as this man, John realizes and he's like explaining the pathology of the killer and he's like this sick son of a bitch does this because of this and then he sees a picture of his dad and he's like wait a minute what the fuck And he's like is this sick son of a bitch me and and then he runs outside and sees the amber and they're like oh shit the plan has gone sideways and I like that moment but then the guy does something that was infuriating but also a little bit more interesting than just having a panic attack and needing to be tranquilized He does escape the clutches of Team Fringe and goes to confront himself. Uh, What are you thinking as this guy takes an extended bathroom break and no one seems to notice at first, and then he shows up to have a talk with the serial killer version of himself? That was so
1: stupid that the Fringe team on the other side let the... I mean, I understand letting somebody under custody go to the bathroom, but 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 leaving him in there for an extended amount of time for him to jump out the window and then go to the farm where full Olivia side has made like his lair, like 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 I don't understand how the agent let didn't didn't check didn't check up on him after an extended amount of time. But that's really minor. But I really like his attempt to sort of talk to the alternate version of himself to tell him that there is a better way to do things that he can teach him to not feel this pain that he has in his soul anymore. Because, because look, we all, as we get older as individuals, the one thing that I think everybody goes through is that moment of, Oh fuck. I wish I could, I wish I could go back in time and talk to myself and just tell myself that it's going to get better, that this girl isn't going to destroy your life, that one day the thing that hurts, the the thing that's killing you right now is going to make you stronger. So I really, I really, I really related with the, with his want to go talk to himself and to to see if he could talk this serial, to, to see if he could talk this alt version of himself down. I, I didn't think it was going to work. I really
0: appreciated the effort. And what's funny is he thought it was going to work and he goes and he shows up and he says, Hey John, like, just so you know, I've been in your shoes and Marjorie made me see the light. And the like, who's Marjorie? And he goes, Oh my God, you don't have a Marjorie. What's wrong with you? And then the serial killer guy is like, well, fuck you. I'm going to take this memory because if you got something I didn't, I want it. And so then both Johns are hooked up to the machine and the guy's trying to suck the memory out that. Marjorie told him, you know, even when it's darkest, you can step into the light, which sounds like some sort of Linkin Park song lyric, but still is is fine. I guess it's like his mantra. I don't know if it's going to stop a serial killer in real life, but I guess that's as good as we're going to get in this 45 minutes. But in that moment, as he's getting the, the memory sucked out, the serial killer version of him then starts to feel remorse for what he has done. And as Team Fringe finally figure out where both Johns are hiding out and arrive, serial killer over there, John, kills himself because he can't deal with it. Now that he has this knowledge that our John had, he feels guilty about all the terrible shit he has done and he just ends it, which was kind of wild and I didn't necessarily predict that that was where this was going because I did think, you know, even if he got that, they were going to apprehend him, but it would be too late and he'd be reformed. But obviously he'd spend the rest of his life in jail, but no, he ends it all. And they take our John to the hospital and he doesn't remember Marjorie at all. And Marjorie is the only thing that stopped him from becoming a murderer. So Olivia and Broyles kind of have a quick talk where they're like, ah, oh shit, we're going to have to keep an eye on this guy forever because if we return him to society, now that he doesn't have this, key memory, then he's just a serial killer waiting to happen. But when Olivia talks to him, he remembers the teachings that have stopped him and kept his tendencies in check and locked that dark passenger up. So by the end of the episode, we're a little bit less worried about this guy returning to society and becoming a murderer all again, because they say, I guess that even with certain memories gone, some people leave a mark that can't be erased. Which is the whole reason they did this fucking story was to get that line of dialogue in there because the last scene of this episode is basically the same as a scene from previous episode where we cut to Walter still covering up all the reflective surfaces. And instead of freaking out because he sees a reflection of Peter, the episode ends with him freaking out because he's hearing Peter's voice. Marcello, what are you thinking? As it turns out, the whole reason we did this over there, over here, serial killer thing was to basically get Olivia in a headspace of knowing that sometimes, even though you don't remember something, the echoes are still there to lay the tracks for Peter's eventual return.
1: That is really alarming to me that the fringe writers didn't have a better idea to sort of to sort of touch on the themes of 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 even if something is gone uh, it is possible for remnants it is possible for remnants of that one thing to remain like it really distresses me that they possibly constructed an entire episode because of one line and because of because of one sort of thought that they wanted to convey with that being said I thought that this episode was really really wonderful and really really effective there's just a couple more things that I want to point out about the episode. Uh, first, when when the bad version of the when when the serial killer blows his head off, right? Because he does it in front of our Olivia, and when Alt Olivia comes in, or full Olivia, as you as uh, as we love to call her around these parts, and she sees what happened. She doesn't have an emotional reaction. The only one that has an emotional reaction is our Olivia. So I found that really, really strange. It's something really, really small, but it's something really, really telling. It's like all, it's like full Olivia doesn't really, she has emotion, but her emotions are more muted than our Olivia's emotions are. So I really found that interesting. The other thing When uh, this professor started having flashbacks of that one person that set him on the path of good and that dulled his violent tendencies, when those flashbacks started happening for a split second, I was like, is that Juliet? Because if that would have been Juliet, I would have lost my shit. But, you know, that's not Juliet. That's not the actress who plays Juliet. But if that if that would have been Juliet, I thought that would have been a really, really cool tip of the cap to the bad to the bad robot faithful um the machine the the sort of fringe machine that he uses i thought was really really cool and the way that he has, the way that he was able to extract the 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 feelings or the good vibes from his victims by freezing them i thought was awesome
0: yeah it was definitely something we haven't seen before in the fringe universe and especially you know when people are hooked up to the machine and they're breath is showing because of the icy cold on their brain was definitely unique and added to the sort of overall creep factor of this serial killer guy, which brings us from creep factors to being in a creepy cave with some sort of icky goo. We are going to talk now about episode three, Alone in the World, which aired October 7th, 2011, written by David Fury, directed... By Miguel, House of the Dragon Sapochnik. Marcelo, finally, Walter, after his freak out at the very end of last episode, is trying to talk through his problems because he is still seeing a weird man in all the reflections. And the person that he has the one on one talk with is the guy who was in charge of St. Clair's. We haven't seen William, You Sunk My Battleship Sadler since season one. But now in this new timeline, Walter still has a monthly psych session with the head of Sinclair's asylum. So he's always on edge about being locked up again. What were you thinking as we get this scene and we realize he still has a relationship with someone who can put him back in his least favorite place?
1: This really, this really disturbed me because I think I mentioned it a long time ago when we when we uh, when we covered that episode where Walter has to go back into St. Clair's to get some information to help out the fringe team, it really, really disturbed me because people, especially medical professionals who say they want to help out their patients, 99 percent of the time they don't want to help out their patients. What they want to do is to keep their patients away from everybody who they consider normal. So it really freaked me the hell out that after after the universes were kind of remixed and reset, that this doctor guy has the ability to send Walter back to St. Clair's if he deems it so. But the other thing, the other thing is that Walter cannot tell this doctor that he's seeing visions of a man in reflective places, like in the mirror and the toaster or what have you, because if he does that, then, then he's gone. And you know, Broyles, Olivia, Astrid—nobody can save him. So I, so so I love the fact that throughout, uh, throughout this episode, Walter is furiously trying to wash out this voice from his head. He listens to music. He, you know, you, you know, he starts cooking. He he does everything that he possibly can to wash out this noise, but he just can't quite get there. He tries. He tries to so hard but he can't quite get there. And I, and I loved that aspect of this episode. It, it, it might've been my favorite aspect because the other thing with the kid, I was like, eh. yeah,
0: I thought that the kid stuff was usually I hate any kid stuff, but this, I didn't actually mind because I do enjoy bullies. Getting what they deserve is something I always love. So when the episode opens, Two boys in this weird tunnel get infected with this strange fungus and quickly their bodies deteriorate and become, you know, if they look like they've been dead for years and they've only been dead for hours. So I thought that was really cool. And as the story unfolds, we find out that they were two teenage bullies who were lured there by a third boy. And this third boy, our team basically starts investigating what is going on by hanging out with this kid. And Walter and this kid, Aaron, have like this interaction throughout the entire episode as Olivia and Lincoln deal with this fungal infection that we find out turns the bodies into a ticking time bomb. And I love the moment where the first body explodes right as Astrid and Walter put it into containment and it looks awesome. And then Olivia and Lincoln get to this morgue too late. And as they start to try and find a way to isolate this fungus that is spreading and is some sort of infection that, you know, we're realizing might take over the world if it's left unchecked and they have to figure out a way to kill it. And they realize the thing that everyone realizes, kill it with fire. And so first they use some UV light and then they decide to use fire. And I love the moment where they start to use fire and they realize That the boy who was in the tunnel and this weird fungus are linked like Elliot and E.T. They somehow have sunk up that they can feed off of each other's emotions. And when they try and torch the fungus, the kid feels like he is being blinded and on fire because of this psychic connection. Which then puts us in this tricky spot where Walter has to find a way to get this kid and this fungus separated because if they can't separate them they're going to end up killing the boy and they need to keep the boy you know alive so they can destroy the fungus but the reason that they need to keep him alive because as we watch this episode walter lets us know that the reason peter is not here besides the fact that he has erased himself from existence he did exist So when Walter and Aaron are having their couple heart-to-hearts that they have throughout the episode, Walter reveals Peter was sick in this universe. Walter couldn't save him. He died. Walter did go to the alternate universe to save Peter. But when he brought him back, Peter drowned. So in this timeline, Peter fell through the ice. The Observer did not intervene. Nothing happened. So Walter killed their version of Peter without saving him. And this is a dynamic that Walter is not willing to accept again. So he doesn't want this kid to die. He wants them to find a way to do anything to save this kid. But I thought the way that they weaved in the information that we have been wondering, how could any of the universe war have taken place if Peter Bishop didn't exist? Well, Walter and it was still fucking mad as hell because in this timeline, instead of kidnapping his son, Walter killed his son which is pretty fucking huge. What did you think, Marcelo, as this information comes out in like a quiet moment of John Noble and this kid? And I'm like, whoa, this is massive. I really love the way that the writers of this episode
1: constructed that bit of history. The reason that the the universe war did happen, like you said, is because Walter wasn't able to save Peter, that he actually died. And that really kicked off the universe war. I really, really like that 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 remix of events done by the writers in this episode. But if there's one thing that I really liked about the the kid story or the B story in this episode, because I don't look at it like the A story, I like the fact that this kid felt so lonely that that he somehow ended up attracting the fungus to him and the and the fungus attached to him. Right. Or or he attached himself to the fungus in some way, because in because in media, sometimes when when a space fungus goes after somebody, it's usually the space fungus that chooses to be with his victim. And in this instance, the um, the tables were reversed. It, 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 It was the kid that needed the fungus more than the fungus needed the kid. So I really like that sort of switcheroo that the writers did in the episode, but also the moment that I really like uh, sort of plays into that sort sort of plays into that really quiet moment that you mentioned where we find out the differences between, um, you know, you know, this timeline and our original timeline when the kid is sort of walking around uh, Walter's lab, he comes, a, he comes across toys, right? Little, little car toys, and little soldier toys. He picks one up and Walter goes crazy. He just goes nuts. And that leads into the heart the heart to heart to explain the the massive differences in this remixed universe that, you know, to explain uh how the universe war ended up happening anyway without Peter being without Peter playing a massive part in, you know, in that because he was because he he died, he drowned. So, I really like Everything that the writers did to sort of explain everything, if that makes any
0: sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And speaking of writers, the guy who wrote this episode, David Fury, most well known for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, but he also worked on Lost in season one and wrote fucking Walkabout. So this guy knows what he's doing when it comes to interesting characters and giving us a lot of interesting backstory in a nice way. How did I not
1: realize that this, that that he was a writer on Buffy?
0: He was a weed knight until he he joined Bad Robot a little bit and worked on Lost and This. And then he he became a, a 24 dude for a while. And now he works on 911 with Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. Also, some other small moments where Walter is like, we're gonna have to do some experiments on this kid to separate things. And the first thing he does is make strawberry milkshakes, which is such a Walter Bishop moment that I love that. And as they realize we need to separate these two and they, f- they figure out the way before it becomes too late. But there is a moment where Walter thinks that they almost have to give this kid a lobotomy. And this becomes important because the end of the episode is Walter deciding in an effort to not get put back into St. Clair's because he doesn't want to accidentally let the information slip next time he has a psych session He grabs this like sewing needle and he decides, I am going to give myself (laughs) an at-home do-it-yourself lobotomy. And Olivia catches him and he's got this giant thing and he's about to smash it into his face. And she's like, whoa, what are you doing? And he said, no, this is going to work. I let me just finish what I'm doing. This is going to work. She's like, what are you trying to do? And it's at this moment that he finally comes clean. Because he's been having these freakouts, but he hasn't really explained what the freakouts are to anyone because of this fear. And Olivia levels with him and says, tell me, tell me what this is. And he says, I have been seeing this face of this man in all these reflections. And now it's gotten so bad that even though I'm covering up the reflections, I'm hearing him. I'm hearing him in my head. And rather than turn on Walter and be like, dude, you've lost it. Olivia pulls a piece of paper out of her pocket and says, Is this the bad man? Where did he touch you? And he says, uh, this is this is a guy that I've been seeing in my dreams. Is this, is this the guy? And Walter is like, How could you have this? And this is a moment where they kind of look at each other and she says, I've been checking databases. There's no record of who this could be, but I'm seeing him in my dreams. He's haunting your waking hours. We got to look into this because if Team Fringe is being haunted, quote unquote, then they want to find out why. And so finally, it took us three episodes, but we're finally kicking down the door to reintroduce Peter in some capacity. So hopefully Joshua Jackson gets the call that they actually need him next week. But Marcello, what are you thinking as this... Desperate moment of Walter to get this to stop and then realizing he's not crazy.
1: I really like that moment because like I said in my opening remarks about this episode, one thing that I really, really loved is the small opening scene between Walter and his doctor. And I really like him sort of wanting to keep his whacked out behavior away from everybody else because some. Because someone who is suffering from mental illness does his best to, sh- to show the outworld world that he's fine. And the main reason why he does that is because he knows if he confides in somebody and if he confides in the wrong person, they could possibly put him in a situation that makes his mental state worse and actually doesn't help him. But with that being said, I really like that. I really like that final scene. First of all, I was like, okay, Walter, you're going to give yourself a lobotomy, but if you jam that thing, that ramrod into your brain, what makes you think that the rest of your body is going to be able to do what it has to do once you ram that thing into your brain? So I don't know if he really thought that true. I don't know if he really thought that through. I just think that at, 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 uh, at that point, at the end of this episode, he is so fucking desperate to get the voices to stop, because he he really thinks that he's losing his mind, and you know you know you know the fact that he was able to open up to Olivia, and Olivia was it was able to accept him and to put his mind at ease and to tell him, no, you're not crazy, because I've been seeing this individual too. I thought was a great moment. The other thing that I liked about it was the other thing that I said after Olivia, you know, showed him the picture, I was like. Finally, because it's been three goddamn episodes. Where the hell is Joshua Jackson? So you know, I you know, I just I just had I just had you running through my head in that final moment because I could I I imagined you watching the episode, and you know and you know when um when when Olivia said we got to find this guy, I imagined you standing up and applauding. I was like,
0: Matt's got Matt's got to be loving this right now. Yeah, I definitely did love that moment because as as much as I hate when shows have like a big season finale cliffhanger and then wave a magic wand in the season premiere and wipe away everything they did and get back to business as usual. The fact that we are three episodes in and we haven't returned to the Peter Bishop, Olivia Walter Bishop dynamic is bothering me. So when he did, they did have that final scene. I was like, it's about damn time. Let's get, let's get on with it. Let's get this going. So I thought that was a great ending and the way that they have, especially through these two episodes layered in the themes and stuff that they're trying to express with the importance of Peter not being in this universe and how everything does have a butterfly ripple effect and it changes stuff. So we will have to see how they are going to find a way to fix their memories or bring Peter back or whatever it is next week. When we talk about season four, episode four, subject nine and season four, episode five novation. So if you are watching along with us at home, those are the episodes to watch this week. If you are listening right now, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Please like, follow, subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, comment, rate, review. We would love that. If you don't do podcast stuff, we are on YouTube radio. 815 as a YouTube channel. You can look for it. You can find all the back episodes there. If you want to get in touch with us. Currently we are on Twitter at jjuniverse 815. You can tweet using the hashtag radio, 815. I am on Twitter until the site gets Peter Bishop out of existence. I am at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, Twitter for now is also a good spot to reach you. Where can the people do that? Unlike Matt, I'll be there while the building is burning down.
1: Matt, Matt will be on the road and I'll still be in the building trying to put the fire out. But if you guys want to reach me, like Matt said, I'm on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88.
0: Thanks very much for listening. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.